4, 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. This is God's word. Yeah, remain standing, please. We're going to pray for um, our elder who has the um, honor of bringing God's word. Praise the Lord. So, uh, Elder Matthew, for those uh, who don't know him. Uh, so, if you could bow your heads, please, and let's pray for, for God's grace upon him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be able to teach your word, and we come humbly just asking that uh, the gospel would be made clear. Lord, that you would fill um, Matthew with your spirit, that he would honor you, you would be pleased. Speak through him, use him, and uh, be exalted. Allow your word to um, just do a redemptive work in all of our hearts. We need you, Christ. And so we just ask for you to, um, we know that you're here, and we just ask that our ears wouldn't be deaf. We wouldn't be deceiving ourselves by being hearers alone, but make us doers, Lord. And uh, we just ask that, yeah, uh, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor. Good morning. If any of you need a Bible, uh, Sam's going to be passing them out. Just go ahead and raise your hand, and if he sees you, he'll, uh, he'll bring a Bible your way. We'd love for you guys to read along as we read the scriptures. And if you need one to take home, please give us a, a hand up, and we'll, we'll be able to help you with that as well.
As Pastor said, my name is Matthew Rojek. I'm an elder here along with Brother Alvin, Brother Nate Egger, and uh, my wife of 35 years coming up. We've got two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got two children and five grandchildren, and boy, does that make me feel old. Uh, one thing we like to do at MacAv is our desire is for us to change into the image of Christ Jesus, God's only Son. And so if we're just pouring knowledge in our brains and we're just building our capacity of our hard drive upstairs, it doesn't really work very much. So our desire is for that knowledge to turn into wisdom, that wisdom to turn into change in our lives as we recognize how far we short, how fall, how far we fall short of God's desire for us. So that being said, if you've got a question while I'm talking, please raise your hand. I'd be happy to call on you. Just if it could be pertinent to what we're talking about. If it's something else and you want to talk to me afterwards, that'd be great. Um, one thing I do want to say is I want to say my appreciation to Jenny. Uh, Jenny waits for my notes, and basically I send her a scattering of notes, and she reads my mind and puts them into slide form. So, Jenny, thank you. Thanks for re- redoing all those as well. Let's pray. Lord, my words are in vain if they're not from you. And we know your word is very clear that it does not return void and it does accomplish that which pleases you. Lord, may it please you to give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and determination and perseverance, Father God, uh, to walk the narrow road that you've called us to. Lord, may we digest the scriptures. May we wait on the Holy Spirit. May we offer up our lives as living sacrifices to you, Father God, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So one thing that MacAv consistently talks about is the narrative of the gospel. And today I just want to re-remind you that there are two, uh, two portions, let's say, of the narrative. Their overall narrative, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations, there's an overall narrative And that narrative is one word, redemption. So that's the initial one. The other one is what I would call the immediate. As we're reading scripture, there's an immediate narrative that we need to uh, pay attention to with the idea of the greater overall narrative so that we don't go to Malachi 3.10 that says, test me now in this, if I won't open up the windows of heaven... And pour out for you a blessing that is so great, you're not even going to be able to contain it if you bring your tithe in the storehouse. We think, wow, done deal. Write a check, and I'm blessed, so I can't even contain it. Because we've taken that scripture out of context. So again, our desire is remember the entire narrative of scripture, and as you're looking at the immediate, remember it in regards to that. So today's... um, the, the, the basic narrative of today in the book of Exodus, for those of you who might not know, it's the story of God recognizing his chosen people, Israel, the Jewish nation, under slavery to Egypt. And he says, I've seen that, and I'm going to do something about it. The book of Exodus is the mass exodus of the people of Israel out of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey that God has promised them. The repeated theme that we're looking at, as I said before, is God's redemption. And one thing I wanted to bring up, 2 uh, Timothy 2.13 says, Even if we believe not, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. That's the theme in Scripture. 
man continues to screw up, but because God has in his own image created man and set redemption in motion, God cannot deny himself, even when you and I are faithless. Because if you look at God's redemption, it's always in the midst of us being knuckleheads. Consistently it is. God's going to remain faithful to himself and to the people that he's chosen. And then the at-hand narrative, verses 4, 1 through 17, which is basically God's declaration or his request to Moses and Moses' response. Once again, I want to go over a brief summary of what we've learned the last couple of weeks because we're not in a new story. Just because we're in chapter 4, there weren't chapters in the Old Testament. We've just done that for our own ease. So let's remember the last couple of weeks that went back. Chapter 3, first thing that happens, what? The burning bush. Moses is walking along. He says, hey, man, that thing's on fire, but it's not deteriorating. God speaks to him and says, hey, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And then God begins to have conversation with Moses. And, you know, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Eric talked about Moses says, okay, God, you want me to go to these people and tell them something? Who do I say sent me? And if you haven't listened to the message by Eric, there's no way I can do it justice, but I'm going to try just real briefly. Eric talked about two components. When God answers him and says, tell him that I am that I am sent me, that just like blows her mind. Because how do you talk about the God that created Saturn and the universes and black holes and stars and giraffes and sperm whales and coral reefs? How do you put that in words? So he just says, hey, man, I'm the guy. And Eric used the um, analogy when he was talking about Matt Ott. Matt Ott, we would go there and say, hey, Dr. Ott. And then after a while, as we become friends, Matt would say, hey, call me Matt instead of doctor. So here God says, I am that I am, this magnanimous being who would blow our mind if he gave us an inkling of who he was down to, I'm Jehovah. And he's showing, he's showing Moses, hey, I'm your friend. So the overall narrative, again, uh, I'm sorry. And then last week with Pastor Leon, man, one thing stood out to me. If you guys remember this last week, when Pastor Leon used the analogy of when God says, I saw what's happening to Israel, and uh, Pastor Leon used that little narrative where he said when he was a younger, and I don't think this really happened, but his sister had one of his toys, and he looked around because he wanted a toy, and he punched her. And then a couple minutes later, you know, Leon thought he got away with it. And what did Mom say? Mom said, I saw you, but it's not, it's not just, I, I saw you. It's, I saw you. And guess what? A whooping's coming. And that's what God says. God says, I saw, and I see what Egypt is doing to my chosen people. And I'm going to do something about it. Which leads us to today. Again, Moses hearing God's request and his response. Now, one thing before we get going is my purpose here is not to dog Moses. It's going to sound like that from what I'm telling you, but I want to say that up front. It's not to dog Moses. And again, I really want to exhort you guys as a congregation, as we're walking through 1 through 17, remember 3. That just happened. Burning bush. I am... I've seen, I'm going to use you, I'm going to deliver, they're going to listen to you. He repeats it three or four times. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He says that three or four times. And he says three or four times, I see what's happening. I'm going to do something. You're my man. Remember, Moses heard that three or four times. And now we come to today's passage. Moses makes some assumptions and even contradicts God. They're not going to believe. They're not going to listen. He says, but God, they're not going to believe. They're not going to listen. They're going to say like, man, you haven't heard from God. And I'd exhort us, does Moses know the future? Does he know what those people are going to say? Do you and I know what the future is? Or do we believe in a God that changes people's hearts and minds? Has God ever surprised you after you've made some declaration or after you've prayed and you say, Lord, I know either A can happen or B can happen. And man, out of the blue, Z cubed comes out and God just blows our minds. We've got to be careful with assumptions and presumptions. And, you know, the word but, basically Moses says, but God. And the word but is usually followed by a reasoned declaration of why we can't or we won't, couldn't, shouldn't, don't expect me to. And then if you guys remember Brother Alvin's message from, I don't know, a year and a half ago, what's the other declaration? But God. Can you imagine if Moses would have just said that instead of, but I I can't? You know, one thing we think about, look at Mary's response. Angel comes, Jesus' mother. Angel comes to Mary, says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. She says, hey, how's that possible? Now, she's not doubting. She's just clarifying. And the angel explains it to her by the Holy Spirit. What does she say? I'm the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me as you've said. Now, I got to be straight with you. Assumptions really screw things up. I'm walking down the street. I see a young black kid in a hoodie. What do I think? What's my assumption? He's going to hurt me. He's a gang member. That's an assumption. And that's messing with Detroit and the growth that the Lord wants to see here. Or my black brothers and sisters, when you see some white guy move into your neighborhood, what do you think? Do you think he came down here because he got a house for cheap? Or do you think that he's going to take over to Detroit now that the revitalization's happening? Don't assume. Don't assume. Renew your mind with what the Word of God says. Be clear in that. Why does Eric constantly remind us to put on our prayer cards when we have the answer to prayer? Constantly he does that. There's a couple of reasons. It builds our faith muscles. Wow, Justin Mast all of a sudden gets a brain tumor? Oh my gosh, we're all freaked out. And look what happened. Justin's sitting here today. He's got a new little baby. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it renews our minds that God has not just created the earth and then he's just sitting back watching what's going to happen. God is sovereign, but God answers the prayer of the righteous. It gives us testimonies we can share with our neighbor where we've seen God's hand move. And lastly, again, instead of assuming the negative, Let's assume that God's going to answer prayer and he's going to deliver Detroit and he's going to bring racial reconciliation 
and when you're wanting to witness to your neighbor, but you're kind of freaked out because you either think you're not smart enough, you don't understand the scriptures enough, or what are they going to say because you're 22 and they're 57 and they've lived here for 35 years? Trust the Lord that his word is going to penetrate dark hearts and minds, bring conviction and bring consolation. Look at the Psalms. Man, I've been reading through the Psalms lately, and virtually every Psalm, the author starts, I'm freaked out, the wicked are running rampant, they're laughing at me, they're mocking you, God, I am absolutely freaked, my knees are knocking. And then he goes through all of that, and then what always happens at the end of one of the Psalms? You know what? Whether you deliver me or not, I'm going to praise your name because I know that my, my hope is set on you and eternity. Because you and I both know Justin could have died easily. And we know that things like that do happen. So my point is, we might not receive the answer in this life that we want, but we're looking to eternity. This is not our home. We're looking to eternity. I think we got a leak. So let's, let's look at verses 2 through 9. It says, But then the Lord said, What is in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand, catch it by the tail. Put out his hand, caught it, became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to you. And then what does the Lord say? Put your hand inside your cloak. Moses pulls it out. It's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it out. God's healed him. Now my question is, why is there not a 7B to the scriptures where Moses says, Whoa! That's what I'm talking about. Instead, Moses comes up with another argument. I mean, guys, remember... Remember chapter 3? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen. I'm going to deliver. I'll be with you. You're going to be my spokesperson. Burning bush. The I am that I am talk. Moses is silent. Because of fear? Because of insecurity? Because it doesn't think that God can perform his word? I think one of the reasons that this has happened is for your and my benefit as we see once again an example of who God uses. He uses the weak. He uses the stammering. He uses the foolish. You know, Eric, again, and Leanne both consistently, I mean, man, Confession Sunday, man, freaks me out every time. Freaks me out every time. I'm sitting in my chair and I'm like, should I? Shouldn't I? And it's always because of pride that I don't want to. Every single time, it's because of pride. Because you guys see me up here looking sharp, business owner, elder. Again, if you guys knew me, you might not be so respectful. I'm 37 years old. And I'm finding out how selfish I am. I got three grandkids living with me. And it tweaks me daily. And my wife's got to help me so I don't become a grumpy old man. 
because my pride gets in the way. But I can look at Moses and I can say, God worked with him. I mean, he just had face-to-face conversations with God for like some kind of period of time there, having conversation. And he still says, wait, God, but God, don't think so. They're not going to listen. Oh, my staff just turned into a snake. Hey, it's healed again. I mean, come on. This is an example for you and I because we as idiots can still be used by the Lord as we renew our mind. Now, one thing I will say again, because I'm not trying to dog Moses, we do have quite a bit of an advantage on Moses because we know the end of the book of Exodus. We see how the Lord works this thing out. We've got hundreds of prophetic prophecies that we know the answer to. We've lived, you know, past seeing Jesus crucified, but guess what? He rose from the dead. So we do have something over him. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. And what does Moses say? You know, again, Lord, I wasn't very eloquent before, and even since you told me, you still haven't ramped up the miracle in my life of making me eloquent. That's what he says. He says, I wasn't before. Yeah, and since hearing you, I still haven't become who you're telling me I'm going to become. And then what does God say? Who made man's mouth? Now, man, I'm going to tell you what, again, going back to Eric's sermon, like, what do you do with that? He says, I made the blind. I made the seeing. I made the deaf. I made the prosperous. I made the eloquent. But that's not what this is about. This is about me working through you as a weak vessel. He's the creator, the developer. He is the equipper, and he runs the show. If he says, Caleb, I'm going to be with you. Frank, I'm going to heal you. Praise the Lord. You can take that to the bank. So let's, I just wanted to, in in keeping with who made man's mouth, I just want to read an excerpt from Job. Uh, This is God talking to Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it, set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stead. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? I mean, that's another who made man's mouth. I mean, that, that's pretty powerful. You know, when I was re-listening to Eric's message and he talked about basically the original people of God wouldn't put vowels in God's name and they wouldn't even speak his name. They would only write it because of the reverence. Like you and I, I think, have the opportunity. We kind of got it both ways. We need to be an absolute reverence of the Holy One of Israel. 
But the scriptures are also very clear that he rent the veil in two in the temple when Christ was risen from the dead. So that in essence, you and I can go into the Holy of Holies. Now, we got to go in, I think, knees knocking and trembling. But there's also a component in Hebrews where it talks about we can confidently and boldly go into the throne of grace to find help in time of need. There's that consistent balancing act that we're doing. God is holy, and we should fall on our faces as Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was that wise. So should you and I be, but also realizing, man, we've got one-on-one access with the Father because of his Son through the Holy Spirit. You know, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I, I said, do you think God is sarcastic? And she was raised Baptist, so she said no. But, but, but look, at, look at what God said. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And I, I, sorry, I just don't hear God saying, have you commanded the morning since the days began? I mean, I just don't think that happened. So like, I'm, I'm looking at these scriptures and I'm thinking, why didn't God say to Moses, really? Don't you remember the I am talk? What about the snake that just turned rigid again? What about the leprous hand? Haven't I told you two or three times, I'm going to be with you and you're my man? Really? Really? You're going to play that card? You don't know how to talk very well? God's looking for believers that are risk takers. Absolutely. He's looking for risk takers. He's looking for obedient stepper outerers. Now, some of you have moved into this community and you've taken that risk to pay higher taxes, to live in a dangerous place. Other of you guys have, have chosen to stay in this community. Equally, you've taken risk. So, so we've already taken the first step. We've already taken the first step. I just exhort you, lay the assumptions behind other than the assumption that God made man's mouth. And God commands the mornings to awaken and the sun to go to sleep at night. He can take whatever is in your hand, whether it's a staff or a college degree or not a college degree. Stay-at-home moms, I got a pension for you, and I believe the Lord does. Your life is not a waste being a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you've got the most menial job in the world. The Lord wants to use you. He used Moses who argued consistently with God. But God understood. He created him. He knows it's a process. Again, I'll ask you, are we going to shrink like Moses? Or are we going to say like Mary, I'm your servant, be it unto me as you speak. And then lastly, or one other thing I want to bring up, Moses is questioning God's character. And Eric touched on this a couple weeks ago, and I, I want to tell you something. Mac group, Wednesday, we're talking. Somebody says, you know what? I'm pretty uneasy about this. Like, all of a sudden, God decides to come on the scene now? Like, what about all those other people that suffered and died and were persecuted? Sorry, that's a bitter taste in my mouth. 
And I jumped on his bandwagon because three weeks ago I'm lying in bed, excruciating pain in my back, stomach rolling with acid, three o'clock in the morning. You know what I said? Lord, your arm is too short. Where are you? I'm, I'm sitting here dying. And you've got the power to heal me? And you won't? I'm crying out to you. I'm a servant. Moved to Detroit. I'm an elder. But the reality is, that's what I'm talking about earlier. Got to have our mind on eternity. So when we had this conversation in Mac Group, the point that I'm trying to make here is, I've determined in my mind that when that time comes for me, when I get cancer or my heart explodes and I'm in the hospital, and even when I was lying on the bed a couple of weeks ago, you know what I do? I have a baseline that I try to go back to. And you know what that baseline is? God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What's my point? Do you remember Eric's analogy about Justin saying, you know what, I'll give up my life for my new son? And then Eric took it a step further, said, would Justin die for the ant? You know, the, the disparity there. You know the point that Eric didn't add to it? Guess what? We were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. We blasphemed God. And in the middle of that, that's when he chose to send his own son to become the very thing he despised. He hated sin. And yet he made his own son become that sin for you and I. He cares for the sparrow. How much more for you and I will he care? So I'd ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, find a couple of baselines. Set a couple of baselines, however you got to do it. You can steal my analogy. I'm fine with that. But set your own up so that when those times come, and be assured they will come, you can say, man, I am freaked out. I don't get it. Why aren't you? You're not answering. You're not healing. You're not comforting. You can say, but you know what? He's love. Eternity might have to come before I get my answer. 13 through 17. I don't know, this is what, Moses' third or fourth strike. God gets angry. God brings in a relief deliverer. Moses had a great opportunity, but you know what? God didn't balk. God didn't balk at this. God walked through this crisis of faith with Moses, growing him through the next course of events. And so I want to exhort you. I see two pretty clear applications here. One is that God uses weak people full of defects. And I think that's a big part of this story. It's so that you and I can look back because you know what? We know the end of Exodus. We know Moses ends up being the champ, right? Because God walked through this whole thing with them. Moses, I mean, Moses has got a good name. Right now, his name's not so hot. 
Think of David. David wouldn't be an elder at this church. He wouldn't. Think about Peter. You know, we dog Peter, but guess what? He got out of the boat. You know, we dog him for denying the Lord. Guess what? Was anybody else in the courtyard trying to hear what's going on? Man, that's a risk, brother and sister. That's a risk he took. We need to jump out of the boat once in a while, even if it means floundering. What do you think? God's not going to save you? He's not going to rescue you? And, and this one I love. Think about blind Bartimaeus. I'm not even sure we know that who he was, like Jewish-wise. Did he have faith? And then what's, what, when he's before the council, what do they say? Okay, we're going to ask you a third time. Who's this Jesus? What's he say? Man, I don't know who he is, but guess what? He healed me. I'm down with that. Leave me alone. The one that I do want to focus on, second application, is again what I call crisis of faith. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a guy named um, Bruce Blackaby. Wrote a book called Experiencing God 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Real good book. And, And he talks about this thing called a crisis of faith. And a crisis of faith is circumstances that based on our response to it will in some measure determine what we really believe about God. I'm here this morning preaching because I didn't whine myself and give up on the Lord on my deathbed three weeks ago. The crisis of faith is repeated throughout Scripture and in the life of every believer. No one is exempt. Look at James 1, 2, and 3. Talks about, man, the testing of your faith. Don't be freaked out about it. Don't be surprised. We're all going to go through it. The testing of your faith. Is God going to fill your mouth? Is God going to show up? And you and I both know, I mean, if you guys have any experience in the Christian faith, (coughs) God shows up at 1159 very often. He shows up at the last minute but we can be confident that he will. You know, I think I've shared with you, some of you guys, um, I've got a little saying for the year 2015, especially after going through the book of Acts. Christianity is chaos. And if you're living a Christian life, you're going to be freaked out. I, I, that, 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 that's just part of the game. And how you, how you answer that freaked outedness, again, I'm hoping it's by assuming the best in the Lord, by not saying, but but saying, but God, and having those baselines of faith that you, if you've got to go all the way back down here where you can say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I think most of you guys could look through the scriptures and give me examples of biblical characters and the circumstance they were in where they had a crisis of faith. We already mentioned a couple, David, Peter, Bartimaeus, You know, there's a couple, you guys know that I love missionaries, I love missionary stories, and there's three real quick ones I'd like to just briefly tell you about. You guys have heard of a guy named George Mueller? 1800s, lived a decadent life, basically going to seminary, indulging in sin because he had not been awakened. All of a sudden, goes to a little Bible study, gets saved, hears about this other guy who was before him 100 years before, who had started some orphanages, and this guy had said... I have never asked a single man for financial help. 
because I believe that the Lord is going to meet my every need. So George Mueller took that as his mantra and basically promised himself and his wife they would never ask for a single dollar. And you should see the stuff that happened by them. I'll tell you one quick story. George Mueller's praying. He's got 400 kids in an orphanage. Six o'clock in the morning, they don't have a single drop of milk. They don't have a single loaf of bread. Guy knocks on his door while Mueller's in the middle of praying. Mueller comes to the door, says, what's going on? Guy tells him, we got no milk, we got no bread. Okay, I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. Shuts the door, goes back. And basically, the story is that Mueller was so overjoyed knowing that the father's care for the orphans was so much greater than his that he was going to answer the prayer that he started laughing. And the guy was waiting at the door, listening, and knocks on the door and opens it again and is offended at Mueller for laughing. And then Mueller's got to explain the whole thing. Mueller went through crisis of faith. Have you guys ever heard of Bruce Olson? A guy named Brushko? 1950s, junior high student, was in a, quote, Christian family. Goes to youth group, comes home, gets on his bed, and he's all, man, Lord, something's not right. I I don't know who you are. They don't know who you are. My parents don't know who you are. Who are you? And God reveals himself to him, to Bruce Olson. He goes back to his youth group. Praise the Lord. Guess what? I'm saved. They mock him. And they laugh at him. His youth pastor laughs at him. He goes back home, tells mom and dad. Basically, mom and dad almost got a divorce over it. He just caused upheaval in the house by becoming a Christian. That's his reward. So he goes to college. He's a very intelligent guy, brilliant linguist, goes to college for three or four or five months. And he he says, you know what? This is not for me. He buys a one-way ticket to Venezuela, Puerto Ayacucho. Cruises in, hears about some Indians. The local missionaries won't have anything to do with him because he's not with a sending agency and he doesn't have any funding. So he just says, okay, cool, do it on my own. So basically, he goes out and he's ministering to some Indian groups in Venezuela, in the Amazon, and he hears about this other group. He says, yeah, that's where I want to go. He's literally walking down, like walking into the jungle, gets speared, left for dead, crawls back to civilization, is in the hospital for about 18 months, comes back, gets on the same path, and the guys who shot him that with the arrows saw him, said, whoa, this dude's serious. He enters their culture, learns their language. Basically, everybody in that tribe got saved. He was on the cover of Time magazine in 1970 because in the middle of the Sandinista coup, they had captured him and I don't know who it was, Nixon or somebody sent down and we had, to, we, had to, we had to get him. You guys know who Jim Elliott is? Elizabeth Elliott. Jim Elliott, missionary, same time frame, 50s, gets married to Elizabeth Elliott. There's three or four buddies who say, you know what? There's some really violent tribes in the Amazon that we want to go reach. They take an airplane. They find where the people are. They drop some baskets of food and trinkets and all this jazz. After a couple of weeks of doing that, they think, you know, the stuff continues to disappear even though they don't see the people. <coughs> so I say, okay, you know, we've made our inroads. Let's go down there. They land a plane. They're on a beach. They're waiting for the people to come out. This tribe, tribe comes out, kills them. 
kills him. Oh, wow. So much for the life of a missionary. What does Elizabeth Elliot do? She's back home, tending the ranch. Crisis of faith? Lord, we went to school to serve you. We've given up our lives to serve you. I let my husband go to the mission field to serve you. She ends up leading to the Lord, the guy who killed her husband, because she stayed in the game. Stay in the game, brothers and sisters. Stay in the game. Prayer request cards, remember them. Confession Sunday, don't let your knees knock. Set aside your pride. The Lord will grow you. If that's the example of Moses, talking back to God, contradicting him, dishonoring the Lord, God used him. God used David, the adulterer murderer. He can use you and I. So let me give you just a quick scenario. You know, there, there's two things that can happen. Challenge comes in our life. We question God. God either answers it, we got a great testimony, or he doesn't answer it, and we got to grow some spiritual muscles. Or the other thing is, in maturity, we say, Lord, I trust you. He answers our prayer, great testimony, doesn't answer our prayer, spiritual muscles. Choose which way you want to go. So let's tell what I call taking some inventory. When challenges come, what's our response to God? I'd exhort you, let's be as Mary, saying, yes, we trust you. I'm your servant. But the reason I'm calling and taking this inventory, I'd ask you guys to ask these questions. In the times of chaos and in trouble in your life, what have you done? And if you screwed up, if you're in sin right now, if you're continuing in sin right now, if you're in continuing to continue in sin right now, God is still for you. He is not, he's not unfaithful. He's faithful to himself because he's made a covenant with mankind. He's provided a way of escape. If you're in that situation where you're continuing to sin and sin, repent. Repent. But know you're forgiven. And you can move on trusting God is going to walk through this process with you. So anyways, let's be as Mary, saying we trust you, I'm your servant. Let's glory in our weaknesses. I mean, I can remember a couple times when Betty and I first started coming here and Eric gets up here and he's confessing his sins. I'm thinking, whoa, that's pretty wild. But you know what? You know, the other thing I loved is probably nine months ago, he did the same thing. But you know what he said afterwards? He said, you know what, guys? I'm down with it. You need to get on board with being down with it. And what he's saying is, he knows he's a sinner. You don't have to come up and remind him. He's really well aware of that. But guess what he's well aware of? The redemption that Christ has provided, the blood of Christ, the resurrection life, the power of the Holy Spirit. Bible's very clear. Sin is not our master anymore. We have a different master, Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit by baptism, We've been raised from the dead by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I don't care how weak you are, glory in it, knowing that then when something cool happens out of your life, God gets all the glory because you can't pin it on yourself. And let's just try to see it as an opportunity to become more like Christ.
Again, confusion is going to come. Chaos is going to come in our lives, guaranteed. What we do with that, look at it as an opportunity to become more like Christ. So we're going to participate in... uh